Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.
Folks, today's Friday, May 29th, 2020, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered. The cop, Derek Chauvin, who killed, uh, of course, George Floyd, he is in jail, arrested and charged with third-degree murder and manslaughter. We have the latest details and talk to our legal panel about what these charges mean. We'll be joined by Senator Kamala Harris to share her thoughts on what is happening in Minneapolis, but also the Breonna Taylor case out of Louisville, Kentucky. The Minnesota Council of Churches is demanding national reform in the wake of George Floyd's murder, plus protests that were taking place all across the country, Denver, Atlanta, uh, Columbus, Ohio, a number of cities. We expect more protests taking place this weekend. While the rebellion in Minneapolis is going on, this Sunday marks the 99th anniversary of the Tulsa massacre and riots. We'll talk with people who say reparations are owed to those descendants. Folks, it's a jam-packed show. It's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. seen last night uh, there in Minneapolis as uh, folks all across were seeing fires raging across the city as protesters angry about the death of George Floyd and why the cops involved had not been arrested. Today, Hennepin County Attorney Mike Freeman, after the, after the disastrous news conference yesterday, which we covered live, we said nothing, finally came out today and said the cop, Derek Chauvin, the former cop, is arrested and charged with third-degree murder and manslaughter. It's a violation of my ethics to talk. Wrong video. It's wrong video, folks. That was yesterday. Here was today. Good afternoon. I'm Hennepin County Attorney Mike Freeman. I'm here to announce that former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin is in custody. Former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin has been charged by the Hennepin County Attorney's Office with murder and with manslaughter. Questions? Uh, yes, what charge of murder? He has been charged with third degree murder. We are in the process of continuing to review the evidence. There may be subsequent charges later. I failed to share with you a detailed complaint will be made available to you this afternoon. I didn't want to wait any longer to share the news that he's in custody and has been charged with murder. What about the Mike, other three officers involved? The other, the investigation is ongoing. Uh, we felt it appropriate to focus on the most dangerous perpetrator. Um, I must say that this case has moved with extraordinary speed. This conduct, this criminal action, took place on Monday evening, May 25th, Memorial Day. 
I'm speaking to you at 1 o'clock on Friday, May 29th. That's less than four days. That's extraordinary. We have never charged a case in that kind of time frame. Uh, and we can only charge a case when we have sufficient admissible evidence to prove a case beyond a reasonable doubt. As of right now, we have that. My many people, including give her, a, give her a follow. Go ahead. Many people, including the mayor, have said that any other citizen with the video evidence available would have been arrested and held while awaiting charges earlier. Why didn't that happen in this case? We have charged this case as quickly as sufficient admissible evidence to charge it has been investigated and presented to us. Mike, you were saying yesterday that people should be patient on this and take time. What's changed since yesterday and this morning that with this afternoon now we're seeing murder charges against Sodom? Fair question. Uh, we have now been able to put together the evidence that we need. Even as late as yesterday afternoon, we didn't have all that we needed. We have now found it and we felt a responsibility as charges as soon as possible. The Attorney General of Minnesota, Keith Ellison, also spoke today. This is what he had to say. many years ago that Ryan is the way that the unheard get hurt. He didn't condone it, but he said to the nation, as a person who always protests peacefully, that don't just dismiss that and ignore it and relegated to just criminality and bad behavior, actually ask yourself, what's going on there? And is it something that we as a society absolutely must pay attention to? I think we must pay attention to it. I'd like everyone to, to recognize the fact that the National Guard just a week ago was administering COVID-19 tests to help people, to help people. The presence you see on the street, don't react to them the way you might react to the Minneapolis Police Department. It's not the same group. They have different leadership, different authority, and their job is to try to bring peace and calm back again. Please remember that this is not the group that you associate with um, unfair conduct. We're gonna do some real change we're not just going to fix the windows and sweep up the glass. We're going to fix the broken, shattered society that leaves so many people behind based on their historical legacy of being in bondage and servitude, then second-class citizenship, and now fraught with disparities from everything from incarceration to housing to wages to everything else. All right, folks, now last night, uh, Donald Trump tweeted this out last night, folks. Uh, this is what he said. I can't stand back and watch this happen to a great American city, Minneapolis, a total lack of leadership. Either the very weak, radical left mayor, Jacob Frog, get his act together and bring the city under control, or I will see an international guard and get the job done right. Uh, and then uh, he made a particular, uh, uh, first of all, he actually appears as if he's actually uh, deleted. Uh, no, this is what he said. Uh, These thugs are dishonoring the memory of George Floyd, and I won't let that happen. Just spoke to Governor Tim Waltz and told him that the military is with him all the way. Any difficulty, and we will assume control, but when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Thank you. That's earned him a violation from Twitter where they made a remark on that, uh, on that 
Uh, Trump tried to come back today to clean up his mess. He said Twitter's doing nothing about all of the lies and propaganda being put out by China. Uh, he had all of that. Then he came back uh, to try to say, uh, well, what he really meant uh, by the tweets, uh, by saying, he says, loot. Um, uh, he said, the National Guard's right on the scene. They are in Minneapolis and fully prepared. George Floyd would not have died in vain. Respect his memory. Uh, and then he tried to, try, again, tried to clean it up. Uh, last night, Jacob Fry, the mayor of Minneapolis, uh, it was around 1.30 in the morning. Uh, this was after the fires with the police station. They are caught on fire and they abandoned the building. Well, Fry uh, was first apprised of what Trump tweeted. This is him responding last night around 1.30 in the morning. Watch this. In the last couple hours, one personally attacking you. A second one uh, that Can says, you read it? I just spoke to Governor Tim Walls, and I told him that the military is with him all the way. Any difficulty, and we will assume control. But when the looting starts, the shooting starts. This is the President of the United States tweeting uh, just a, a little bit ago. What's your reaction to that? What was the other tweet? Uh, there was a, a, an earlier one uh, calling you a radical leftist and a weak mayor and to, to get things under control, and I have it here. I can't stand back and watch this happen to a great American city. A total lack of leadership, says the president. Uh, either the very weak, radical left mayor, Jacob Fry, get his act together and bring the city under control, or I will send in the National Guard and get the job done right. That was the first of two tweets from the president. Well, let me say this. Weakness is refusing to take responsibility for your own actions. Weakness is pointing your finger at somebody else during a time of crisis. Donald Trump knows nothing about the strength of Minneapolis. We are strong as hell. Is this a difficult time period? Yes, but you better be damn sure that we're gonna get through this. Um, Mayor, some people have questioned whether you made a conscious decision to let people go into the third precinct and offer an office. Donald Trump held a news conference today made no mention of George Floyd, only talked about the World Health Organization as well as China. In a news conference today, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot made it perfectly clear how she feels about Donald Trump. Let me say one other thing. <clears throat> Donald Trump's comment last night was profoundly dangerous. And we must stand in firm solidarity and say this is totally unacceptable, no matter who is the speaker. And folks, we see the game he's playing because it's so transparent and he's not very good at it. He wants to show failures on the part of Democratic local leaders to throw red meat to his base. His goal is to polarize, to destabilize local government and inflame racist urges. And we can absolutely not let him prevail. And I will code what I really want to say to Donald Trump. It's two words. It begins with F and it ends with U. Mm. Mm. Joe Biden spoke today. A little bit later, I'm going to play his entire speech again. The person occupying the White House said nothing. All he did was send a tweet out, did not speak to the nation about George Floyd. Joe Biden did. I will play the entire speech that he gave. But joining us right now is Senator Kamala Harris of California. Uh, Senator, glad to have you back on Roland Martin Unfiltered. It has certainly been uh, an unbelievable week. I said I went live last night and I said this. 
That news conference yesterday by the district attorney and the FBI was an abomination. You made people wait two hours to come out and say, we have nothing. Then the DA says that there's evidence that, that they've gathered that shows that there wasn't misconduct. Now all of a sudden, police station goes up in fire. People are out here protesting. Folks are here angry. Now they come back 24 hours and say, okay, we found enough, he's arrested. I said they were fired on Tuesday. If, if, if Chauvin had been uh, charged on Tuesday or Wednesday, last night would have not taken place. Well, look, it shouldn't have to take folks burning buildings to be taken seriously about the need that a community has, uh, that the family of, of, of Mr. Floyd has to have justice and to receive justice swiftly. Justice delayed is justice denied. And, um, and you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm sick of it. I, I, I just have to tell you, I mean, this is on the heels of, of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, and then we can go down the long list. And um, people deserve justice. We have still, though, in America, two systems of justice. There's the one system of justice for people like Michael Flynn um, and, 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 and Trump's reports who have been found guilty or pled guilty, and then they let, they're let And then there's another system of justice uh, that is applied to black people, brown people in America, and folks. You're absolutely right. Folks folk, folk are sick and tired of it. And one of the things that I said to people uh, is that when you, when you look at this rebellion, people are angry. There's, it was not just black people who were out there last night. It was white people. It was Latinos. People are sick and tired of, of, of police, frankly, getting away with these things. Today, the DA said, well, hey, we move real fast in this one. Normally, it takes nine months to a year. I'm sitting there watching it going, wait a minute. You're telling me it takes nine months to a year to actually charge a police officer? You've been a district attorney. You've been attorney general. That, to me, is part of the problem. You've got a video where a cop has his knee in full weight on a man's neck for 10 minutes, and we see it on the video, but the DA says normally it would take nine months to a year. That's why people are angry. The people are... Are, are hurting also, Roland, and you and I both. People are in pain because this is not unique to this moment. This has been going on for decades and generations in America, which is that the enforcement of American law is applied differently depending on the color of the skin of the person to whom it is being. And that's just general fact, and we know that to be. We still in America have as an ideal that yet achieved justice for all equally. Uh, I got to get your thoughts about the fact that in a moment like this, leaders lead. Vice President Joe Biden made uh, his particular comment uh, today. Uh, uh, former President Barack Obama also released a statement. I'm going to read that statement a little bit later. Um, Donald Trump comes out to the Rose Garden, nothing. No comment, no statement. Frank oh, but Roland, you know what? No. He made a really loud statement. Oh, that's what I'm saying. I'm about to say. He, he did not speak to it, but he, said, but he spoke to it. 
No, but no, listen, I, I suggest that you rewind it, start from the moment they start walking out of the White House onto the podium, the Rose Guard, and put it on mute. It is such a loud stick. It just walked. Look at it. They made a very loud, and Donald Trump, very loud. He dog was to the people that he believes are his loyal supporters. Let them be still with him. And, and just watch it. Watch it that way. Mute, mute it. And it will be very loud when you hear him saying. Well, and you make an excellent point there because, again, what we are what we are seeing and dealing with is an abdication of leadership, and which, and all of a sudden he tries to clean it up with his tweets as well, and then you see the people out here who are talking about well, um, uh, 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 loss of building and property, and look, I, I totally understand that, I totally get it, but 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 it was something that came across last night. And we flagged it. And that was a, a businessman in that area. And I saw this and was really blown away. Uh, and they posted, they posted this on their website. And this particular businessman, uh, in this statement, what he said was um, about the building. He said, my building can burn down. We need justice. Now, this is an owner of a restaurant right there in Minneapolis who is saying, if they burn my building down, I understand it because we need justice. That speaks volumes about how people feel about the lack of action against police officers who are but, killing people. It, it's an expression of pain. See, let's, it, it, this is not about, it, this is about pain. You know, when you have been hurt, you, this, these are the natural reactions when you are hurt. And, and, and that's what we have to understand. Folks are in pain and have been in pain for a long time because of the injustices, because of the fact that there is black blood staining the sidewalks of America at the, from unarmed black men at the hands of, of, of rogue law enforcement officers. And here's the thing. I, I listen. I believe that the majority of police officers do good work, but bad cops need to go to jail. We need to have that clear as a, as a priority for all of us. Bad police officers are not in the best interest of law enforcement in America, not to mention bad police officers do things like what we just saw happen to George Floyd. Earlier today, I asked someone who was tweeted something, and they said, this woman tweeted, you had, you had said something, I retweeted, and a woman said, uh, you need to take a seat. My response was, well, no, her response was, you need to take a, you need to sit this one out because we need action. My response was, well, don't you think you want a senator to actually be in it to take action versus sitting it out? And so for the people who are asking, what should be done on the federal level? Because yeah. you're operating on the federal level. And what should be done on the state level? As somebody who's been a DA, who's been attorney general, now a senator, what, what actions do we need to be fighting for to ensure yeah. these things don't happen again? I can tell you a number of things. And first of all, the fact that we are still having these conversations 
after Rodney King almost 30 years ago speaks to the, the, the fact that there's been a lot of talk about a lot of this, but we still have not achieved the goal, which is that black men should not be killed. Um, and, and so here's what we need to do. And independent investigation, meaning it should not be the DA's office. I, I talked about this when I was running for president. It should not be the local DA's office. The independent investigation, police officer, duty for them. There should be a different standard for the use of force by police officers, and it should be a natural standard. Rolling right now, for in most states, the laws say, well, was it reasonable that that officer? use the force that ended up killing somebody. I'm saying, no, that's not the standard. The standard would be, was it necessary to use that? And so creating a, a, a standard that actually should be applied, because that's actually the reason to ask, was it necessary? How was it reasonable? That necessary? Uh, and then the other thing we need to do is we need, we need to elect Joe Biden, because what we have in Donald Trump is someone who put in death session and now has built up. And that Department of Justice, the United States Department, has for all intent purposes stopped doing investigations into pattern practice of, of bias, of racism, of abuse in police departments. They've also stopped enforcing consent, which are when a court is overlooking the, the report that a police department is supposed to do if it's engaged in misconduct. So these are these are very common things that we should be demanding. And and folks have the power in terms of also to be elect. And not only in terms of electing Joe Biden, but also we elect in terms of DA. We elect in terms of uh, they make the decisions and and we need to have people in those offices who understand the enormity of their power, the need for them justice. All right. Senator Kamala Harris, we certainly appreciate you joining us. Thank you so very much. You take care. All right. Thank you. Folks, as I said, Vice President Joe Biden did speak today with regards to last night's rebellion, as well as uh, the decision to charge the cop. This is what Joe Biden said today in a live stream to the country. You know, uh, I just had an opportunity to speak with uh, the Floyd family and a group of them. Most of them, they're close, decent, honorable family, loving one another. And once again, we had the words, heard the words, and they heard them, I can't breathe. An act of brutality so elemental, it did more than deny one more black man in America his civil rights and his human rights. It denied him of his very humanity. It denied him of his life. Depriving George Floyd is, uh, as, as it deprived Eric Garner, one of the things every human being must be able to do, breathe. So simple, so basic, so brutal. You know, uh, uh, with the same thing happened with Aubrey, the same thing happened with Breonna Taylor, the same thing with George Floyd. You know, we've spoken their names aloud. We cried them out in pain and in horror. We chiseled them into a long suffering hearts. The latest additions to the endless list of stolen potential wiped out unnecessarily. You know, it's a list that dates back more than 400 years. Black men, black women, black children. 
The original sin of this country still stains our nation today, and sometimes we manage to overlook it. We just push forward with a thousand other tasks in our daily life, but it's always there. In weeks like this, we see it plainly that we're a country with an open wound, and none of us can turn away. None of us can be silent. None of us can any longer can we hear the words, I can't breathe and do nothing. You know, we can't fail victims like, you know, what Martin Luther King called the appalling silence of good people. Everyday African-Americans go about their lives with a constant anxiety and trauma, wondering who will be next. Imagine if every time your husband or son, wife or daughter left the house, you feared for their safety from bad actors and bad police. Imagine if you had to have that talk with your child about not asserting your rights, taking the abuse handed out to them so, so, just so, they could make it home. Imagine having police called on you just for sitting in Starbucks or, or, or renting an Airbnb or watching birds. You know, this is the norm black people in this country deal with. They don't have to imagine it. The anger and frustration and the exhaustion is undeniable. But that is, that's not the promise of America. It's long past time that we made the promise of this nation real for all people. You know, this is no time for incendiary treats, tweets. It's no time to encourage violence. This is a national crisis. We need real leadership right now, leadership that will bring everyone to the table so we can take measures to root out systemic racism. It's time for us to take a hard look at the uncomfortable truths. It's time for us to face that deep, open wound we have in this nation. We need justice. We need real police reform that hold cops to a higher standard that so many of them actually meet, that holds bad cops accountable, that repairs relationship between law enforcement and the community they're sworn to protect. We need to stand up as a nation with the black community, with all minority communities, and come together as one America. That's the challenge we face. You know, it's, it's going to require those of us who sit in some position of influence to finally deal with the abuse of power. The pain is too immense for one community to bear alone. I believe it's the duty of every American to grapple with it and to grapple with it now. With our complacency, our silence, we are complicit perpetuating these cycles of violence. Nothing about this will be easy or comfortable. But if we simply allow this wound to scab over once more without treating the underlying injury, will never truly heal. The very soul of America is at stake. We must commit as a nation to pursue justice without, with every, every, every ounce of our being. We have to pursue it with real urgency. We've got to make real the promise of America, which we've never fully grasped, that all men and women are equal, not only in creation, but throughout their lives. Again, to George's family, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. I promise you, I promise you, we do everything in our power to see to it that justice is had in your brother, your cousin's case. God love you all, and I uh, 
Folks, we got to stand up. We got to move. Got to change. All right, folks, this is what President, former President Barack Obama tweeted out uh, today. Uh, this was his statement. Pull it up, please. Uh, he said, I want to share parts of the conversation I've had with friends over the past couple of days about the footage of George Floyd dying face down on the street under the knee of a police officer in Minnesota. The first is an email from a middle-aged African-American businessman. Dude, I got to tell you, the George Floyd incident in Minnesota hurt. I cried when I saw that video. It broke me down. The knee on the neck is a metaphor for how the system is so, so cavalier holds back black folks down, ignoring the cries for help. People don't care. Truly tragic. Another friend of mine used a powerful song that went viral from 12-year-old Kedron Bryant to describe the frustrations he was feeling. The circumstances of my friend and Kedron may be different, but their anguish is the same. It's shared by me and millions of others. It's natural to wish for life to just get back to normal as a pandemic and economic crisis upend everything around us. But we have to remember that for millions of Americans, being treated differently on account of race is tragically, painfully, maddeningly normal. Whether it's while dealing with the healthcare system or interacting with the criminal justice system or jogging down the street or just watching birds in a park. This shouldn't be normal in 2020 America. It can't be normal. If we want our children to grow up in a nation that lives up to its highest ideals, we can and must be better. It will fall mainly on the officials of Minnesota's, Minnesota, Minnesota to ensure that the circumstances surrounding George Floyd's death are investigated thoroughly and that justice is ultimately done. But it falls on all of us, regardless of our race or station, including the majority of men and women in law enforcement who take pride in doing their tough job the right way every day to work together to create a new normal in which the legacy of bigotry and unequal treatment no longer infects our institutions or our hearts. As I said, the officer, the former officer who was fired on Tuesday, he has been arrested. Now let's talk about what that means. Joining us is A. Scott Bolden, former chair, National Bar Association Political Action Committee, John Burrett, civil rights attorney, and LaVonda Graham Williams, prosecuting attorney. Scott, I want to start with you. Third degree murder, manslaughter, but in the charging document, something very strange. They say there was no physical evidence of asphyxiation, but because of prior health issues, that was cause of death. Are we not back at Eric Garner where George Floyd killed himself? <laughs> well, the uh, state's attorney or the local district attorney can't help himself. We've heard the fact that he doesn't like prosecuting uh, police officers. That's not necessarily unusual. But remember, this was preliminary analysis uh, by the uh, reviewing, um, by, by the government. Uh, the family uh, and, and Mr. Trump are going to have their own uh, autopsy done, uh, and we have to wait and see what the final report says. That is uh, surprising, but nobody trusted either. It doesn't matter whether you got, we all got pre existing conditions. Give me a break. You sit on my neck, your knee on my neck for 10 minutes, I'm going to have damage. Most police departments train against that, if you will. And, and Minnesota, certainly, uh, whether it does or does not, this was the result. We watched the life of this man go out under the knee, go out of his body under the knee uh, of this police officer who sneered and went back to his business and could care less about what the crowd 
was narrating. And so uh, the other part that is disturbing, and there can be more charges brought, is that the third-degree murder charge under Minnesota law is depraved and different. It's not purposeful or intentional where you form the mens reas and you intentionally killed somebody, which is the first-degree charge. Secondly, they're setting this up to be as easy on the police officer as possible because then they added what, what we would call in D.C. a lesser included. That is second-degree manslaughter, uh, which is, is not depraved indifference, but essentially criminal negligence. And so you see what the charges, initially at least, are looking to set up a defense for Chauvin to say that he made a mistake here, uh, he, had, uh, he was criminally negligent, but he was, he shouldn't be committing or, or charged with murder, but you can form the mens rea to intentionally kill somebody within seconds, within moments. And so we've got to hope and keep the pressure on that more charges and the right charges are going to be brought without overcharging, as we've seen in some case, some prior cases. And so uh, the pressure socially and politically, nonviolent, of course, has to be kept. And then the legal pressure has got to be kept in this case, because it's not over. More would be charged. It'd be interesting to see what the other police officers are charged with, vis-a-vis -vis conspiracy, the third-degree murder, or, or assault, or, because there were at least three people that, were, that touched him and had their knee on his back at one point. We saw the new video come out. So, Roland, we need to keep watching this. There's more to come. John Burrs, I want to go to you. When we talk about uh, these particular cases, when you look at uh, what, this, what, what the DA said, again, I'm struck by how 24 hours changed. We were live yesterday on the show when they had that news conference, started two hours late. We went live to the news conference and he stands there and he talks about how we're investigating. We want witnesses to come forward. Uh, but he also just threw out there that, uh, that, that they also have evidence where, uh, frankly, it wasn't really the officer's fault, uh, pretty much what he said. And then 24 hours later, oh, did this move fast, four days. We've never moved this fast before when it comes to charging a cop. Normally it takes nine months or a year. No, a police station going up in flames in a pissed off city is why they had to arrest this cop today. This, this DA, I am extremely bothered by the language I'm hearing from this DA because I don't care if he's a Democrat, uh, or even if he was a Republican. He sounds like too many other DAs, John, who act as a defense attorney for cops. Well, I absolutely, absolutely agree that this is our view. This is a political decision. And it's because of what you said about all that happened last night and this real fear that the city might go up in smoke. What he had to do today was to find out, give, give the public a criminal charge of murder. But in his heart of hearts, he does not believe it is murder. Because once exactly. he gave out this whole notion, this might be medically induced or it could be something that's unrelated to the physical uh, crushing of his neck, that is a classic defense that's going to be there for involuntary manslaughter. It's a criminal negligence approach that he has taken. And, and I will tell you that it doesn't matter what the other charges are. The defense lawyers have essentially haven't tried cases against these defense lawyers. This is going to be their position that it was criminal, at most, criminal negligence. Because if you look at, they're going to say there was no physical assault on this man. And as a consequence of that, they're going to basically say he had his foot on, his knee on the neck, he put too much pressure on it, but at this inner time, he was not 
doing so in a sense to kill him. Even though we can look at this and say, wait a minute, the mere fact that you adjusted your knee to put more pressure on the neck clearly would suggest that you had the intent to do serious bodily injury to him. And that, to me, puts this in a second-degree murder at the very least. It could be first. So, But the charging, uh, the statement fired by the district attorney clearly did not say that he believes that this is murder, even in the, in the third degree. He really believes, I had to do something. I couldn't go less than murder, but I don't believe that it's murder. Therefore, you have manslaughter. I've very seen cases where you have both murder and manslaughter charged in the same charging document. You charge one, and then you know you may have to go down later to a lesser one at the jury trial. But to do it up front, it's really given uh, the defense lawyers and the rest of the police community some belief that, look, we got to do this, but this is the, what the case really is at best, is what he's really saying. Um, LaVonda, uh, when, first of all, he said that the U.S. attorney could have her own view. First of all, let's just be real clear. The federal folks, their, their only place in this is really going to be on civil rights violations, uh, as opposed to uh, this criminal uh, uh, this this criminal case here. The three other officers involved not arrested. He says we're still gathering evidence, things along those lines. Uh, but again, to me, this is a reaction to last night. This this, this is first of all, folks have been calling for him since Tuesday to arrest this. Officer, and what I don't understand, this is what I don't understand. And again, I'm not a lawyer. I've covered enough cases to understand this here. You can arrest the cop on a lower charge and then charge him later. But to allow him to maintain, to be free, then for the Minneapolis Police Department to surround his house with cops to protect him from protesters gave the impression that we're gonna we're gonna use city resources to save this guy's butt and I think that's what pissed people off well they said nope if we got to torch this joint we will to get y'all attention Absolutely. You, 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 you hit the nail on the head with that one because he has chosen his words very carefully even the words he chose to put in this criminal complaint I want to point out that they have used a very exciteful uh, reference to a defense that's been uh, a challenge uh, over the years called excited delirium. Um, you'll yep. notice that when they're talking about uh, the other uh, officers in this case, that one of them references this idea of excited delirium, which is a, a, a oftentimes a way for uh, the evidence to show that there was something other than misconduct to be the source of the uh, murder in this case. You know, this... Uh, uh, if you don't, I, I, yeah, yeah, no, go, go ahead, go ahead. I, yeah, I've seen excited delirium used in a lot of cases I've been involved in, and it's really a justification for the police officer's conduct. If a person is delirious, they're basically saying they're out of control, and therefore we have to use whatever force is necessary. But if you look at Mr. Floyd walking around, looking at him when he was down on the ground, when he got up and walked across the street, he was not, that was not the person of an excited delirium person. He was not acting bizarre. He wasn't saying wild things. So that is just a typical defense that the prosecution, uh, the, in this case, the defense lawyers were used against the prosecution. Prosecution is well aware. So do not allow yourself to buy into this excited delirium. It is a bogus, bogus defense that is often used to justify police conduct. Yeah, Roland, I agree with uh, John. Uh, he does, that dog won't hunt, and, and for the very reason. What makes this video so powerful and so different 
and so painful for so many people is that there wasn't a struggle going on with the police. They weren't fighting. He wasn't fighting them. They had complete control over him. I was talking to a colleague of mine. We were both former prosecutors from New York City in the 80s, and we tried to think of some facts that would support a defense, legitimate facts, as to why in handcuffs, this guy was calm, this, the detainee was calm, and this knee was on his neck. And we honestly could not come up with one because there, he wasn't running from the police. Something happened between the time uh, uh, Chauvin got there. It wasn't even his arrest. They had detained him on this uh, forgery charge. And then from the time in the camera shoot that he had his knee on his neck. What could this client, I'm sorry, what could this detainee have done in that gap that would cause Siobhan, who he had worked with before, to put his knee on his neck, whether they had prior bad blood or not? The police were in complete control. You cannot take punitive measures against a, a detainee, whether you know him or not, whether he spit on you, whether he swung on you, it doesn't matter. Once you get him under control, they've got to put him in the car and take him. They put him in the car, and then they took him out when he was right. not resisting. It made no sense. These are all facts for intentional murder in first degree. And again, there's got to be more investigation and more pressure, because I think my colleagues, John and uh, the prosecuting attorney that's on with me, they're absolutely right. This, this is just, um, this is nonsensical, actually, and, and it's not going to work this time. I hope and pray the nonsense does not work. One of the things that, so first of all, again, um, we saw that particular video uh, that was taken uh, from that angle, but now there's been uh, a second angle uh, that mm -hmm. uh, where somebody else was shooting. Uh, and, with, mm -hmm. and with that particular video, Again, it shows, because at one angle, you see one particular officer. Uh, guys, go ahead and go to my iPad. This is the second angle. Mm -hmm. and, and you see three of the cops, all three of the cops, essentially laying on top of him. And you don't see him struggling. You don't see him, you know, normally when you see one of these videos, you see, I mean, somebody might be swinging or uh, you don't actually see that. And, and so... You have to ask yourself again. He's down. Right. He's, he's down. down. He's detained. And and this deal of I'm going to just stay on you uh, was just unbelievable. And when you watch the other video where the people are yelling, this officer literally has his hands in his pocket chilling. Right. He is right. relaxing mm -hmm. on his neck as if there's no big deal. Yeah. Well, that goes yeah. to the recklessness, yeah. in my view, the disregard for human life. Because the man is down, there are several people on him, he puts his knee on the neck, and then he constantly relaxes and pushes down harder as he adjusts his position. That, to me, he had no respect for that person's physical well-being. Well -being. Because to do that, he could hear people saying things. If he had any sense of consciousness about this person, he would have lightened up. He did not do that. And, none, and neither did the other people lighten up. So I think the other people are going to get charged with some crime. I don't know what it will be. Given that, they don't, that the real charge here is, is the manslaughter charge, from, my, from my, what I can see. The other charges, the officers will have to come in to figure out if they're aiding and abetting a, a homicide of some kind or a failure to follow appropriate procedures. But, it, but from my point of view, it is clear 
that this is a real murder and not a sham third-degree murder as described. It's a second or first-degree murder with intent to, to do great bodily injury and or reckless disregard for human life. Um, mm -hmm. uh, LaVonda, then Scott, LaVonda, what people need to understand here again, and this I keep saying this over and over and over again, a lot of these DAs act like they are defense attorneys for cops. Mm-hmm. Well, then he's got a lot of pressure on him. He's got a city on fire. And you can tell by the language he chooses, he's worried about what's happening. And, and I go back to this paragraph. It is, uh, it is uncommon to see the individual conversations between the officers in a criminal complaint. But I think they're going to rely on this to delineate the level of culpability when it is clear that all three of them have a level of culpability that is comparable to the other. It's, it's called diluting the complaint. Diluting right. the charges, actually, That's right. but, you, That's but exactly you see right. this all you you see this with with pro police uh, prosecutors. It'll be interesting, and I'll be interested in what your other guests have to say about this. That when they got back to the station, what did their report say? Did they lie about their report before this thing blew up? Before they realized that they had killed him when he was uh, was at the hospital? What did they report? What they didn't? Uh, all of them invoked the Fifth Amendment. But they had to have made some statements or filled out something when they got back. Uh, uh, if they didn't, then they were protecting themselves and behind the blue shield and the uh, police bill of rights. I don't know whether Minnesota has it or not. We have it in Maryland. We have it in D.C. And that's how they protect themselves. When did they talk to the police? What were those statements made uh, within 72 hours of this arrest? And so there's a lot more to come here, Roland. Um, interesting points here to note is that in, in, in Minnesota, an officer can see the video, actually see it, review it, before they give a statement. That allows them to get their story together to be consistent with the video, because otherwise, as you know, officers will make up statements, try to fit a particular scenario that supports their lack of culpability. But in this case, they had a chance to see that video. Then we'll be still critical to say, how did they explain the individual movements that they each made? Because all these guys were holding them down. They have to offer some explanation as to why they were holding them down and what was he doing? And that's the real crux of what's going to happen here for these other three guys. Rest assured, the police union and the police lawyers themselves who interviewed these, these men at the very outset have put a story together to justify why, in fact, they were holding them down. And that's going to be the test that's going to have to be dealt with ultimately in the future. Well, it certainly can't be he was a, they were afraid that he was threatening their life, that they were under siege in some way, shape, or form, because he's not moving. He's talking. He's calling for his mama. He's calling that he's saying he can't breathe. They were in complete control. They weren't Total. threatened oh. by this uh, detainee. So what's their story going to be? I, I don't know, but I, I keep looking at that video trying to see what is their defense going to be to this nonsense? Well, it's just unbelievable. Guarantee there's going to be one. Uh, be one. LaVonda Graham-Williams, John Burris, Scott Bolden. We really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Uh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. All right, folks. Also in Minneapolis today, there were a number of people who were speaking out on uh, what took place. Uh, there was a news conference involving Stephen Jackson, former NBA player, very good friend of um, of Mr. Floyd, uh, who um, uh, was very moved, was very upset uh, by what took place. Uh, and among the people who were also there were Tamika Mallory, as well as Jamie Foxx. First, here's what Tamika Mallory had to say at that news conference. 
happening across this nation. And so we are in a state of emergency. Black people are dying in a state of emergency. We cannot look at this as an isolated incident. The reason why buildings are burning are not just for our brother George Floyd. We're, they're burning down because people here in Minnesota are saying to people in New York, to people in California, to people in Memphis, to people all across this nation, enough is enough. Yeah. And we are not responsible for the mental illness that has been inflicted upon our people by the American government, institutions, and those people who are in positions of power. I don't give a damn if they burn down Target. Because Target should be on the streets with us calling for the justice that our people deserve. Where was AutoZone at the time when Philando Castile was shot in a car, which is what they actually represent? Where were they? So if you are not coming to the people's defense, then don't challenge us when young people and other people who are frustrated and instigated by the people you pay, you are paying instigators to be among our people out there throwing rocks, breaking windows, and burning down buildings. And so young people are responding to that. They are enraged. And there's an easy way to stop it. Arrest the cops. Charge the cops. Charge all the cops. Not just some of them. Not just here in Minneapolis. Charge them in every city across America where our people are being murdered. Charge them everywhere. That's the bottom line. Charge the cops. Do your job. Do what you say this country is supposed to be about the land of the free for all. It has not been free for black people, and we are tired. Don't talk to us about looting. Y'all are the looters. America has looted black people. America looted the Native Americans when they first came here. So looting is what you do. We learned it from you. We learned violence from you. We learned violence from you. The violence was what we learned from you. So if you want us to do better, then damn it, you do better. I'm, I'm here because they're not going to demean the character of Greg or George Floyd, that's right, that's right. my twin. Mm -hmm. A lot of times when police do things that they know that's wrong, the first thing they try to do is cover it up and bring up your background mm -hmm. to make it seem like the bullshit that they did that they did was worth it. When was murder ever worth it? But if it's a black man, it's approved. You can't tell me when that man had his knee on my brother's neck, taking his life away with his hand in his pocket, that that smirk on his face didn't say I'm protected. What we're trying to do is ask questions why? Why is it when a person who walks into a church, sits down with the parishioners, prays with them, then takes out a gun and causes havoc, and you apprehend them? Right. right. A white guy. Right. Why, when it comes to us, it seems like the brute force ends up what we're doing today. So all I wanted to do today was let you know that I'm not a 
again, folks, uh, a number of people have been speaking out about what's going on there uh, in Minnesota. Uh, it is, um, uh, again, a very, very still volatile situation. Uh, protests are being planned in other parts of the country this weekend. There was a protest uh, today uh, in Houston. There are protests uh, that have been taking place uh, in uh, Denver, in Atlanta, other places. Uh, this right here uh, is some video uh, that uh, my niece shot uh, in uh, Houston. Uh, this was the protest taking place out front of Houston uh, City Hall there. Uh, in uh, today, again, I told you, uh, Atlanta also, you've seen protests taking place in that city, places where also police were clashing with some of the folks uh, who were out there protesting as well. We are seeing, again, lots of anger, a lot of people who are really upset by what's going on. Here's a, this is what took place in Atlanta. Bringing our panel, Teresa Lundy, principal founder of TML Communications, Rob Richardson, host Disruption Now podcast, Andrew Lee, political strategist. Teresa, I want to go with you. I mean, again, what we're seeing here, we are seeing um, anger. And we're seeing people who are saying no more. We have seen so many cases. If I if I started started, you know, a little bit later, we're going to play the uh, audio from the Breonna Taylor uh, 911 call, and it's just one after another. And there's there's a belief from people who are black, who are white, who are Latino that, for the most part, cops are getting off. That's what's fueling this anger. Enough is enough. Um, we've seen it through so many hashtags, so many names. So many discussions and less solution. And so when we, you know, look at the looting that is happening, when we see the frustration, when we see, you know, people outside protesting, doing what they can with the minimum that they have. And the minimum that they have could be a poster board, could be a marker, 
It could be using their voices, but what's not being said is where is the solutions from our elected officials, from our law enforcement agencies, from the constitution of our civil rights. And so it makes it really hard for people to walk hand in hand, for people to say, listen, I, I need more from our justice system when we don't see justice. So yes, when we say enough is enough is enough, it really has to do with looking at our elected officials, looking at those who say you are our leader, you are someone who is supposed to stand up for us. So when the frustration is amped up to the highest extent, this is what you're going to get. And so I, listen, if it happened in Philadelphia today, I'd be right there with them on the front lines. But then I will go back and try to find a solution where we're putting pen to paper and trying to make sure that that doesn't happen here. Uh, Andrew, um, it's very interesting. Uh, I have seen, um, prior to yesterday, a number of conservatives who were outraged by what they saw as well. Then, of course, after last night, things begin to shift. Oh, here we go, burnt, tearing up property, arrest these thugs. Trump weighs in as well. But what you're dealing with, though, are people who are saying that at what point do you actually get justice? So, I mean, so how much longer must folks wait for justice? I mean, Roland, this should be beyond party lines. This is, um, if this were another country, this would be, you know, what America has experienced over the past couple of months. You know, we're living in a third world country. We're seeing erosion of our institutions. We're seeing people rising up. And even with video surveillance, it's not enough. I mean, think about what was happening before social media. How many of us would have been even known about some of these stories with the case in Georgia where people are sitting on evidence? So I think, you know, the only thing we can really do is protest and demand more of our elected leaders. And, you know, we saw in the last election, the midterms, that black voter participation was up. We need to continue that. I know there's a lot of concerns with uh, Joe Biden and other candidates on local level on up, but. Uh, we have to be involved. We have to demand accountability, and we can't accept this as the status quo any longer. Um, Rob, um, this is this is video. Hopefully, um, they, the way they shot it, it was sort of very weird. This is video last night from Columbus, Ohio, where they stormed the state capitol, uh, where they uh, guys are going to show it. It's, I know it, the way it was shot. They sort of shot it sideways. Go ahead and roll it. I tried to turn it, uh, hopefully, uh, uh, but that didn't work. Uh, but just, that's the way they shot the video. So, uh, but bottom line, Rob, I mean, to see this in Memphis, Louisville, Columbus, Denver, Houston, LA. Minneapolis, L.A., uh, I said, if they had not arrested this cop, I, I said, you're gonna, you would have seen 50, 75 cities, 100 cities. You would have seen massive protesting this weekend as a result of what happened to George Floyd? Well, people are protesting, Roland, as you know, because the system is not working. I think Teresa said that earlier. It's not working, and it's working by design the way they intended it to work. Look, um, they were not going to charge this officer. They made that clear. The report came out that, look, this is this is an incident. This is a medical incident, they, and that was their original uh, claim. The prosecutor came on and said, basically, he indicated like he might not charge. They don't have enough evidence. So what changed in 48 hours? What changed is people got pissed off and they saw that they can't get away with it. So uh, people are fighting back, and I'm glad they're fighting back. Uh, now we have to figure out how to have a sustained strategy because my fear, Roland, is that they're just going to say, okay, we're going to do what it takes to calm people down right now, 
And then we're going to wait till things settle down and hope they all get back to watching TikTok videos or something. So we have to make sure that we have a sustained anger and it goes further than protest and we have to continue to fight. Um, this is all three of you. I made this point yesterday that if you actually look at American history, America always waits till something blows up before America responds. If you look at the struggle of black people, if you look at many of these, what some call riots, some call rebellions, nearly all of them involving black people was precipitated by police brutality. And see, people want to focus on the burning of buildings and looting, but they don't want to say what led to that. Because first of all, if you do the timeline, burning buildings and looting, preceded by protests, protests preceded by police brutality. Well, if you don't deal with A, then you're going to get B and you're going to get C. And that, to me, Teresa Robert Andrews, where America has a problem, America doesn't want to deal properly with A, police brutality. Well, I yeah, think no one's in denial about it. I think uh, 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 Andrew first, Teresa Rob, go. I think um, the country's in denial that police brutality is a problem, that they think it's just black people, that they think that um, no matter what we do, no matter what our education is, no matter... Um, the things we do in the community, nothing's ever good enough. Even when we comply with comply with the demands of the police, we're still brutalized. We're still attacked. Even when there's on video, it's still doubt. I mean, you see in this case how all of a sudden there's all these other things that are thrown in about, well, maybe he had a heart condition, maybe he had this. Even the COVID-19 response, you see how it's disproportionately affecting our community. There's not enough resources to get PPE and get people tested. Um, I mean, it just goes on and on. And I think the excuses are ringing hollow, which is part of why you're seeing so many people rising up and protesting throughout the country. Teresa, go ahead. Yeah. And so part of it, I think they're not listening. We have to start being looked at as human beings, as uh, non-essential workers, right? But equally. And so when you have situations where you have a CNN correspondent, African-American, I believe uh, Omar is in the mix of minority. Don't know what it is, so forgive me. He black. He black. No, don't worry about it. He's he black. black. Okay. Okay. The high men has got me. But earlier, when he got arrested um, for doing his job, after listening to one law enforcement official to move to another uh, section, it's interesting enough, as he, as he stated his claim of who he was, sold his papers, he was the first one arrested. Not the man with the camera in his hand that I'm sure was on his shoulder. Not the one that was holding the court. But Omar, the one who was telling why he was there. And of course, you know, um, he gets arrested and, you know, blown off. And again, when, when we're not looked at as human beings and when we're not being listened to, we have this problem here in this country where we can't find solutions because if you're not being heard, there's no way you can get to the table. So what people have been doing in order to get laws passed and solutions passed in communities of color, they've been using our white counterparts in order to get things done. And it's unfortunate that we still have to do this decades and decades later in order to get uh, something uh, done. But again, I'm just so over the hashtag. I'm over um, uh, the non-solutions. I, I, I really am. 
Uh, and so I, I really think, you know, uh, minorities and um, black people, we really need to, you know, do something collectively um, and really show, you know, so where we are uniting and make sure we're bridging the gap with other people because for some reason, we're not being heard. Uh, you have this, Rob, uh, in uh, Petal, Mississippi. White Mayor Hal Marks, uh, he put a comment out there where he said, if you can talk, you can breathe. Um, folks, there have been protesting. This is actually uh, what took place last night uh, in where people uh, addressed the city, city council. Because I'm, I'm one to say that I... I respect police, but I've also been put in situations where I've been left to, to not have trust for them. To be, I've been demeaned by police officers. If there is one police officer that is not the, the right person for the job, if there is one police officer that has a moment where he could kill somebody, you have let him know that it is okay. You let him know it's okay. You let him know he's got to protect him. You have you you gotta go. You have to go. I, I don't even no. say nothing else, but you gotta go. You shameful. You you know your whole family should be ashamed of you. They are. They, they should, should be ashamed of you. Here's what's interesting here, uh, Rob. Uh, of course, the mayor he decided to <laughs> fire back. This is what he said. And that mob mentality of trying to bully people into not going along with the, with the uh, orthodox they have. Do you know how this is going to affect you? How do you feel? You're a reverse bully. You're a reverse bully. Because you can't point to a... Look, you Rob, here's what happened. According to reporter Ashton Pittman, all six white aldermen, this is the tweet. He said, um, I can't stress how big of a deal it is that six white aldermen, uh, the whole board, in a historic white flight town in Mississippi, just called for their mayor to resign over racist comments about George Floyd. Wow. What well, that tells you, look, we, we've gotten folks' attention, and now we need to make sure we do something with this moment. And I want to go back to really talking about Minnesota, too, because this guy is, is clearly a racist. He's clearly an overt idiot. But, we have, but, but, but the problems we have are people that sometimes say that they're with us, but they're really not. Because, look, I look at Minnesota as being a fairly supposed to be progressive town. But that police department has had problems for a really long time. So there are some issues there. And, and, and what really disturbs me, they actually have, and I'm reading the policy Robbie, right now. Robbie, you got to remember, one report was done that said most of the cops there don't even live in Minneapolis. Yeah. So, I mean, so that, again, that, so, that's so right. when you juxtapose this progressive town, but they're coming from outside of the town. That speaks. And, and remember, Trump was trying to target Minnesota because Republicans thought outside of the major cities, they said, we could win this state. It speaks to a mind. See, so all of a sudden when you start, people start thinking, oh, blue state, no, no, no. Don't necessarily assume that. And that doesn't even matter. I mean, blue state, it doesn't even matter. The fact is, in that area, the prosecutor is not doing what they're supposed to. The police force has had a problem for a long time. Lando Castile, this, this officer alone, I think, had 18 different complaints against him. And Roland, within the uh, police department's protocol, it actually allows them to do unconscious neck restraints. It's in their, it's in their policies. So they're going to they're gonna use that as a defense. 
they already had it built in to be to be able to brutalize us. So we have a whole lot of issues that we have to really address. And right now, this whole police department has to be overhauled. Uh, the whole the whole system has to change. We need a prosecutor that's actually going to hold them accountable. We don't have that right now. Absolutely. All right, folks. Uh, Got to go to a break. We come back. We're going to talk about uh, what churches should be doing in Minnesota to address this very issue. We also uh, will talk about Sunday being the 90th, 99th anniversary of the Tulsa race riots. All that next right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Don't go anywhere. You want to support Roller Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Folks, we support black businesses here and Mary Spio, Seek.com. Uh, she is the sister. She actually uh, created, uh, that's right, so her patent created these virtual reality uh, headsets. So what I told you before, um, you know, we had her in technology segment. So what happens with these headsets, folks, it's real simple. You take your phone and then you just simply place your phone inside of this. And so if you go to the Seek website, you go to the Seek website, uh, you're able to uh, look at the content or if you even go to YouTube and you look at their 360 degree videos and so when you put this headset on you're able to actually see the video uh, completely it gives you this virtual reality experience it, it puts you actually in the room of an interview or a video that was shot and so it was really great and so uh, they have these virtual headsets uh, on their website for sale but also these great headphones right here these are 4d 360 degree headphones, an unbelievable sound, uh, pulsating sound. Uh, you, gamers love these, people who are doing online games. And so she created uh, this headset as well because she wasn't satisfied what was out there. And so they have a special code for you. Uh, and then we get a cut of the proceeds, folks. If you uh, purchase either the VR headset or the headphones, it's right there. Uh, it's RMVIP 2020, RMVIP 2020. And so we certainly appreciate uh, partnering with them on this. Uh, many of you, they are very much, uh, they love the feedback that they've gotten uh, from this. And in fact, uh, Mary sent me an email saying she's heard from people from all over the world, from New Zealand and Ivory Coast, who watch Roland Martin Unfiltered and heard me talk about her and her company. Uh, and so again, folks, you go to seek.com, go ahead and roll a video or the slideshow so you can actually take a look at that. You get a great headset uh, here uh, as well as so that's the VR headset. So you see you put your camera in and it gives you this virtual reality experience where it puts you literally in the room. Uh, and so it's always pretty cool uh, to see those concerts and to see uh, some of the uh, very interesting video there and so on seek.com. And so use the promo, promo code RMVIP2020. All right, folks, uh, we'll continue our conversation talking about what's happening in Minneapolis. Churches are trying to do their part to get a hold of this situation uh, in order to, one, address the concerns of so many people who are concerned about police brutality as taking 
place in that city. Uh, and so uh, the Council of Churches there, uh, they're demanding national change. They announced that unless the systemic issues that are the foundation of racism in this country are addressed, we, they will not continue to, we will not, we will, we will continue to see more uh, George Floyds. We're going to get them, going to get uh, Iva Carruthers on with the Sammy DeWitt Proctor Conference in just a moment. Uh, but, you know, th this, this is important. I think what we're seeing here, Andrew, is this is that moment where the line in the sand is being drawn and people are being challenged and it's very much you with us or you with or are you not uh Carson Wentz NFL quarterback of the Eagles released a statement David Carr released a statement uh you see you're seeing black athletes challenging their white counterparts saying look y'all gonna sit this one out and an increasing number of white athletes are also uh, speaking up. Remember, Colin Kaepernick still is unemployed because he dared to protest on Sunday, has not been hired by anybody. And you see uh, what happened there. And so now other athletes are stepping into this deal by saying, hey, you know what? I can't be silent while these things are happening. And for the longest, white athletes are being silent. I think when you look at uh, when you look at uh, churches, I, I, I tweeted this to Paula White. She retweeted uh, Trump's uh, uh, tweet on this whole deal. But I'm like, how can you call yourself an evangel evangelical leader, but you've said nothing? This story here is going to cause people to say, you got to pick a side. You with us or you with people who are against us? You know, Roland, I don't really know what could be more clear, you know, seeing the modern day lynching of a brother of a black man, a father, a friend, a son, and people that are trying to defend that. There, there's no excuse. There's, there's no explanation. And I think what we're experiencing now is we're actually going back to the 60s. We've experienced massive gains, political power, business owners. But at the same time, we're, we're fighting the same battle that our grandparents and our great-grandparents fought. And it's not, we're, it, we're not going to accept it. It's, it's not going to happen. So whether it comes from the president, whether it comes from the DA or the attorneys down there, I don't think that um, people are going to stand for it any longer. Rob, this was a tweet Taylor Swift sent out today. Uh, go to my iPad, please. After stoking the fires of white supremacy and racism your entire presidency, you have the nerve to feign moral superiority before threatening violence. When the looting starts, the shooting starts, we will vote you out in November, tagged real Donald Trump. 314,000 retweets, Rob, 1.1 million likes. That's big. It is big. And uh, I'll just say this, uh, you know, to your earlier point, people are either, it's not even for us or against us. You're either for justice or you're for injustice. You're, you're either a Christian for real and you believe it in practice or you're not, because this is what this is. This is not a it's not a black or white issue at the end of the day. It is because black black people are being affected, but it's an issue if, if you care about people, if you care about humanity, either you do or you don't. And we know by your silence whether you do or not. Um, in, in terms of whether racism is getting worse to, to the uh, brother who, who spoke about us going back to the 60s, I'll just say this. Uh, I don't know if it's getting worse. It's just getting filmed now because it's been it's been bad, uh, but now we're seeing it, and hopefully something can come of it. But uh, you know, so far it had to take people rising up all over the place in order to get anybody's attention because I don't think there would have been an arrest 
unless there were massive protests, unless there was some probably looting. It looks like that had to, that looks like that got their attention. It wasn't enough for someone to be murdered. Property had to be destroyed, then that got their attention. Teresa? I'm still waiting for the body cam that was supposed to be uh, given to uh, fellow police officers that I'm sure, obviously, he didn't have one on. So, again, I'm, I'm grateful for the for the, the bystanders. I'm thankful for the neighbors, uh, the strangers who, who were there during George Floyd's uh, situation. But we just got to be honest here. When it comes to real justice, justice has to be seen in multiple forms. Justice can't only be... Um, told to us, it actually has to be displayed. So I do, you know, feel like we are going, I feel like we are hiding the fact that we are supposed to um, showcase uh, justice a little differently, but I just feel like it's, it's just not happening now, and thus we're still in the same predicament as we were decades ago. I want to bring in a couple of guests here, uh, Reverend Dr. Iva Carruthers, General Secretary, Samuel DeWitt Partner Conference, and Reverend Dr. Curtis DeYoung, Executive Director of the Minnesota Council of Churches. Uh, Reverend Young, I want to start with you. What are you hearing from pastors? Are you seeing uh, a, a biracial, a multi-denomination uh, coalition of pastors uh, who are saying enough is enough with what's going on there in Minnesota and across the country when it comes to uh, cops and black folks? Certainly there is uh, a number of pastors here who have uh, engaged on the issue. Uh, we have lined up behind the leadership of African-American pastors. In fact, we at the Council of Churches are led by uh, denominational heads from black denominations. So we've already built a structure that works for that. And our white churches are waiting to take orders from uh, black leadership. Now, that's not the entire church, but that's a significant part of the church. Um, Iva, uh, again, this is where religious leaders have to use the power of the pulpit to speak to their members and say, it's time for y'all to get off the sidelines. You can't be silent. Right. If we're going to stand up in our authority as Christians and as people of African descent, it is imperative that we understand that we cannot be on the sideline. And what that looks like is to stand up with the righteous indignation, supporting the kind of voices that Tamika spoke to, and to make sure that we are clear that we can change and must change the conversation. I think there are some very specific ways in which the church is uniquely positioned to change that conversation, Roland. And one of it is I'm sick and tired of people begging the question about black people's humanity. I think it's time for us to talk about what is humanity and who has it and who has demonstrated it. The concept of Ubuntu in South Africa, which uh, Reverend Curtis is well familiar with, suggests that your humanity is defined by how you see other people. What we witnessed is can never be construed to have been something that could be legal and acceptable as human behavior. He should have been arrested from the very beginning. We should not even have to be talking about that. So I don't even want to talk about black people's humanity, notions of riots and looting. Those are the wrong words to even talk about. We need to be challenging the humanity of the people who perpetuate this kind of violence for multiple centuries upon another group of people. Um, Reverend, Young, Reverend Young, in the uh, video Joe Biden, when he spoke today,
He talked about people of conscience getting off the sidelines and having to step up. He, in essence, he was echoing what Dr. King wrote in Letters from a Birmingham Jail to white clergy in Birmingham, uh, saying why we can't wait. There is no question that, that whites need to step into this struggle. I agree with Reverend Dr. Iva that uh, this should be a, a foregone conclusion that we all created in the image of God. We're all human beings. But obviously that's not the case in the way that George Floyd was treated. So therefore, we also need to uh, build the systems of accountability into our policing and hopefully eventually transform policing because policing does not seem to buy into that. And some of this is structural, and so we need to address the very structures. But yes, the church should be at the vanguard of this struggle. And we're trying to do that here in Minneapolis, uh, and we're calling folks to uh, be present to folks who are grieving, to, of course, pray that we do prayer well, to protest and to prosecute three other yet police officers that need to be prosecuted. Final comment, uh, Iva. Yeah, and it starts with, let's tell the truth. And that truth, as you have said, Roland, is generational truth. And that truth begins with the slave trade system. And the slave trade system as a system of racialized efforts to dehumanize people of African descent globally. And we fast forward to this day and we see it manifested as what the World Council of Churches has called Afrophobia. And when you look at the ways in which people who obviously perpetuate and benefit from white privilege feel fearful of people of African descent and fearful of people of color and fearful of losing their power and their status quo, we begin to see that that is even internalized and manifested in the brain waves. And so we must dig more deeply to understand that the kind of behavior we witnessed was not a normal act of what you would call human behavior, but in fact, inhuman behavior. And so we as a church must stand up with historical truth, calling for remembrance, and taking us from remembrance to reckoning to reparations in order to transform the system. We have got to be willing to stand up. My metric for real change is when the police can join those who are on the street demanding justice. Yes. No justice, no peace. Ava Carruthers, Curtis DeYoung, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Uh, Rob, that is, uh, again, the church. This is the thing. Everybody has a role to play. And this is where, again, I think, um, you know, we're operating in a whole different moment. Here we are, you know, six months out from an election. Um, you know, Trump can sit here and say nothing from the podium today. But as Senator Kamala Harris said, we heard, we heard him loudly and clearly. This is where... People who've been dancing on this issue, who've been avoiding it, no, 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 you ain't gonna be able to avoid it. I'm seeing people, I'm seeing people saying in Hollywood, in sport, other places, saying to their white friends, if I don't hear from you on this, don't even text or call me anymore. Yeah. 
No, I get that. And look, this is a, when I just go back to this and think about all the emotions I've been through, I've been through anger, I've been, dep- I've been, I've been through depression, and just replaying this scene in my head. If Roland, you or I had a dog and we put our knee on that dog and, and the dog started yelping and whining and the dog died, I will make a hundred percent absolute guarantee that you or I will be arrested that moment. Oh, and oh. there would be outrage. But you don't even need a hypothetical. The white woman in Central Park. Remember, remember, the rescue place where she got the dog, they took the dog before she got fired. They took the dog Sunday night. She, I mean, she got fired on Monday. Yep, yep. And now, and now so there's more, we have more empathy for a dog than we do for a black man in this country. I wish I, wish I was exaggerating, but I don't think I am. And then when you look at this president, who has not only called for violence. I mean, this is this is incredible. This is I wish I could say it was incredible, but it's we haven't seen anybody call for violence against protesters. Now, he's calling for violence against people, and he's using the power of that office to legitimize and further violence. This is the same person, by the way, who had a problem with peaceful protest. He called Colin Kaepernick what a son of a bitch for peacefully protesting. So we can't peacefully protest. So what do you expect people to do? Eventually, people are just going to get tired, and, and this is where we are. But we, we, certainly, uh, we certainly have a president who is not only a racist, but now he is inciting racial violence. He has to go. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Rob, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, only certain people get to protest in this country. Other people can bring guns to capital, can uh, organize, can make threats against political leaders, but peaceful protests. Now, not when it's black people, but it starts at the top. You're absolutely right. I mean, when you have a president that enables white supremacy and says all sorts of things to get to, um, you know, good people on, fine people on both sides. I mean, this is just a, a continuation of a narrative. If we were in another country, we would call this like a third world dictator in terms of some of the rhetoric that he's using to not only divide Americans, but um, demolish institutions and the rule of law. Teresa. All of that I concur with. I mean, you know, the Trump campaign has been very um, silent on these issues, especially the woke campaign and the black voices for Trump. Um, but I expected, I, I guess I expect that much if they joined that team, but they should have said something. Um, but I also think since they have that much uh, willpower to be next to the president and to be endorsing his standards, something could have been led uh, to, to give him a nudge, like, hey, this is not okay. But I'm hoping they, all of them, you know, uh, the woke campaign actually um, does their own, you know, reflection about this could have been me, right? If I wasn't wearing this Magna hat, if, I, if we weren't out uh, nine months to the election, what, you know, what would happen, right? What would happen if he's not in office and I'm not on his side? What, what if that was me, if I was out on these streets not repping POTUS, right? So I think, you know, even on a campaign standpoint, um, they definitely dropped the ball on that. And everybody that thought that um, they were woke, um, you know, especially uh, trying to say, you know, Joe Biden uh, with his you ain't black comments, um, I think this just went down the tube uh, with their um, lack of uh, understanding of, you know, what really being black is all about. And, you know, it was very interesting to me when you look at people uh, who are in positions of power um, and just how they respond. So about a few minutes ago, Mark 
uh, Mark Zuckerberg dropped this um, post on Facebook. Uh, it's uh, I, I'm just I'm I, okay. Let me just go ahead and read it before I start cussing. Um, this is what he said, y'all. This has been an incredibly tough week after a string of tough weeks. The killing of George Floyd showed yet again that for black people in America, just existing means risking your life. This comes after the killing of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, blah, 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 blah. I've been struggling with how to respond to the president's tweets and posts all day. Personally, I have a visceral negative reaction to this kind of divisive and inflammatory rhetoric. The moment calls for unity and calmness and we need empathy. But then he goes on to say, but I'm responsible for reacting, not just in my personal capacity, but as a leader of an institution committed to free expression. Uh, I know many people are upset that we've left the president's post up, but our position is that we should enable as much expression as possible unless it will cause imminent risk of specific harms or dangers spelled out in clear policies. This sounds to me smiling like Rob, who realizes that he got his ass kicked because he sounded like a fool yesterday, and Jack Dorsey has shown far more leadership Absolutely. in at least checking uh, uh, at least putting a fact check on what Trump is saying as opposed to allowing it to sit there and no fact check whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, he, and he's going to continue to do that. I just, he's, he's justifying the statement saying that, well, unless it causes imminent harm, he's, the president is talking about shooting people in the streets. What else, what else, what else does he need? He sounds like a um, cop. You know, he sounds like a cop who tells a woman, hey, we can't do anything unless somebody actually hits you. I mean, it's, it's 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 insane. Well, we know we know where he's leaning, and I'll I'll, I'll just say this though, because I want to go back to the political point earlier. Uh, we certainly know where conservatives, a lot of conservatives, not all conservatives, but damn near most of them are. Uh, they, they they choose to demonize us, and they choose to use it as a political weapon. Uh, but we also need Democrats to do better. Let me say this, uh, because it's easy to make your it's 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 easy when it's all relative, and and the other side is just demonizing us. But I expect when Democrats uh, when when uh, black folks vote for Democrats 90%. I expect better results than in progressive cities like this where this still happens. It doesn't matter that the fact that it's in a blue state, it's in a blue city. It happens still. It happens in New York. It happens in L.A. It happens in places where Democrats win all the time. So I also don't want to absolve Democrats of responsibility in this because this is a system-wide failure that has had bipartisan support, and we need real results. Uh, I am I'm seeing this video here, and... Uh, the person who truly is, I, I think he's lost his mind, is Lou Dobbs, uh, who's on Fox oh, Business. Yeah. Uh, he had a brain when he was at CNN. Lou and I used to often talk, uh, used to you know, meet in his office. I was on his show a lot, Andrew. Uh, but I don't know what, uh, what the hell uh, is going through his head right now. So I just saw this post here uh, where they had this segment where, uh, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and play it, Andrew, and I got to get your thoughts on it. But essentially, Lou Dobbs is blaming the black church for what has happened. To George Floyd, be compounded by absolute lawlessness and the utter destruction of looters and rioters who are crushing a community and businesses inside that community. Law and order has to exist for the people who need it the most as well. So maybe with a curfew, maybe with a direct approach, maybe with the National Guard, we'll see the we'll see the situation come under control. But because they equivocated, we're not direct, we're not clear, and we're not strong. This tragedy has spiraled into something much more dangerous to the community. It's terrible to see. 
It is terrible, and it is, without question, a tragedy, and also a needless tragedy. Uh, yeah. But it also, you have to wonder, where are the leaders of the community? Where have they been during city council meetings? Where have they been trying to counsel this inexperienced and untested mayor who is uh, facile uh, and unwilling to stand up uh, like a man and take responsibility uh, in a moment of great sorrow and pain for his community? Uh, to see this kind of ignorance uh, un unleashed on the streets of Minneapolis because a mayor doesn't have guts, because a city council isn't engaged, because the community there is it engaged with the city council. Obviously, they have the ability to control their lives with those local power centers. And I don't know where the black churches are. I don't know where the black teach, uh, teachers and leaders are. It is such a, a failure of community and, and local government that it's just pathetic. It's been abandonment more than just in the moment where you leave it to be rioted and looted it. It's, it's a generation of abandonment because of left-wing policies that have failed that community. And, you know, I, I want to live, Lou, in the kind of place where if someone's at my Cub Foods, which is what happened, and maybe Come using on. First of all, I don't really give a damn about Peter Hague, Seth. Andrew, here what I find be real interesting. Minnesota, I'm sorry, Minneapolis is 63.79% white. Black or African-American, 19.3%, Asian, 6.13%, other race, 4.67%. So Lou Dobbs, just, Lou Dobbs and Peter Hex said, and talking to white folks on Fox News, because you ain't going to never see four black panelists on Fox News. He just skipped over 64% of the people in Minneapolis. Where are the black churches? Where are the black teachers? No, Lou. Where are white folks like you? That's right. I think that you need to put it right on the doorstep. Lou Dobbs and a lot of the black Republicans and Trump, Trump black Republicans and all that, you know, they, they don't have um, any, any say at all in the community. They don't have any relationship to the community, just like half of the Republican Party that opposed Trump and all of his policies and how he's eviscerating the rule of law, he's firing all the inspector generals. You know, I mean, you can't have it both ways. You can't um, support a president that breaks the rules for, for everybody. And then when people rise up and speak out, all of a sudden you have a problem with it. So, yeah, it just he has no credibility in it. Like anybody who, who listens to what Lou Dobbs has to say, he's clearly looking over um, all of the people in Minneapolis, um, white folk that actually have a responsibility and an obligation to also speak out against it. That, to me, again, the did here, Teresa are white people in America who want to live in denial and they act as if they have no role. So where are the black churches? Why haven't y'all uh, gotten with this inexperienced mayor? First of all, Lou, you don't know shit about Minneapolis. You ain't covered nothing in Minneapolis. You just popping off on Fox Business, sound like a damn fool. And Peter Hegseth is just as stupid. Absolutely. I think Lou Dobbs, you know, giving his uh, narrative and it doesn't look like he uh, actually took the time to actually research the demographics there, one, with the 60 percent uh, white population, because if you're asking where the black churches are, they're probably not in 
Um, the suburban communities, they're not in the uh, center city downtowns. They're more than likely in the urban areas of which she probably wasn't going to have any touch points to get their side of the story. It would have been better if he had that type of opinion in order to have a balanced conversation was to get somebody from the community to get um, an elected official, to get a religious leader from that community so the points can actually look like it was intelligent versus just an opinion that was uh, wrongfully not even researched. Rob, it, it, again, white folks in America, look, we know this. We, we know this experience. The reality is America is still a white country. It is still a majority white country. And if we want to confront what's happening, the reality is that there are more white people who are United States senators. There are more white people who are in the House of Representatives. There are more white governors. There are white led state legislatures. There are more white people who are sitting on corporate boards. There are more white people who are sitting uh, over organizations. There are more white folks control the economic economics in this country when it comes to hedge funds, venture capitalists, when it comes to all of those different things. That is the reality. And so if folks all of a sudden are so concerned about buildings burning down, step your lazy asses up, Rob. Yeah, I would say this. You know, people like to talk about having unity in this moment because it's the easy thing to do. Throw it up, calm, unity. But Dr. King, I'm going to paraphrase what he said, but, you know, you can't, you know, unity is not the absence of tension, but it's the presence of justice. We don't have any justice right now. We don't have any truth. So there's not, you're not going to have unity. You can't, that, that's false unity. This, this, this call for unity, like, oh, let's all be calm. Let's all be together. Let's all be nice. No, let's actually have a system that works. Let's make sure we respect the lives of everybody and make sure that we say and, and implement policies that to show that black lives actually do matter. That's what has to change for us to have unity. We have to have real policy change. There has to be an acknowledgement and a change of behavior. That's how you get unity. You don't get unity just by talking about unity and then doing nothing to actually uh, make sure unity happens. Absolutely. All right, folks, got to go to a break. We come back. We'll talk about this Sunday, 99th anniversary of the Tulsa race riots. Everybody keeps saying, oh, how do we need to change these things? What can we learn? It's been 99 years. Oklahoma still has not rightfully paid black folks back. We'll be back and roll about unfiltered in a moment. I would have never been able to raise five kids alone without this excellent job and the security of my union working closely with my employer to make sure that I got the raises I deserved, that I had the medical benefits I deserved, that my children needed, making sure I have job security, making sure that um, I'm overall successful. It's exciting to keep making a difference. It's exciting to just be part of such a great cause involving people, which is what I love to do. And we want to thank the folks with AFSCME for being a partner here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Sunday, May 31st, marks the 99 years since the Tulsa, Oklahoma massacre. It lasted more than 18 hours on May 31st to June 1st, 1921. A white mob attacked residents, homes, and businesses in the predominantly black Greenwood neighborhood. 
it remains one of the worst incidents of racial violence in U.S. history, what I will call white domestic terrorism. News reports were largely squelched despite the fact that hundreds of people were killed and thousands of black folks left homeless. Joining me now is to talk about this is, of course, the attorney there, uh, Demario Solomon, Simmons, civil rights attorney. Uh, Demario, glad to have you here. We we're supposed to be joined by Dr. Tiffany Crutcher, uh, founder executive director of the Terrence Crutcher Foundation. Uh, but I just want to give her that shout out. The, he, here's the thing that I find to be interesting. Here we are talking about Minneapolis. People are complaining about a police station going up in fire. They're complaining about a couple of other businesses being impacted. They're complaining about a target being looted. But a complete town of black businesses destroyed, homes destroyed, elderly folks, guns put to the back of their heads, brains blown out. And Oklahoma, to this day, the state has not repaid that white domestic terrorism. That's just a fact. That's, that's a fact, Roland. I appreciate it. Good to see you as always. You know, the reality is the same anti-black white supremacy that killed George Floyd, that ran up into the house of Breonna Taylor, that killed Terrence Crutcher in Tulsa, is the same anti-black white supremacy that burned down Tulsa. 99 years ago. It's the same black anti-black white supremacy that allowed the discrimination and oppression to continue against black Tulsans for the last 99 years without any compensation, without not one dime has been paid for any life loss, not one dime has been paid for any property loss. And we're talking about 50 to $100 million just in real property damage in today's uh, uh, money. We're also talking about the countless amount of lives that were lost. Nothing has been paid. No one has been held accountable in any, any way possible. And right now we have the members of the white power structure. They're actually appropriating the history of the massacre for their own benefit. It's truly a shameful scenario that's happening here in Tulsa. Well, and the thing that uh, is, is important is that, again, you hear people saying, oh, well, well, this is just bad and wrong in America. First of all, Greenwood, they, they rebuilt but they had to do with their own resources and they did not, they were not taken care of by the state when you had police who were involved, when you had law enforcement where you're involved. You had, you had the system there involved and there was no protection for those black folks in Greenwood. Absolutely. And you, you know, I've been working on this issue for literally almost 20 years and spent a lot of time with a lot of the descendants or survivors, most of who are now passed on. We do have one known living survivor here in Tulsa. She's 105 years old, Essie Benefield Randall. And I can tell you that when we say these people rebuild, some people rebuild. Some of the most um, lucky people rebuild. Uh, but most of the people didn't have the capital to rebuild. They didn't have the insurance opportunities to have to collect insurance payments because the city and the white power structure of the town, at the time, they falsely called what happened a riot when, in fact, there was a, a massacre. And so these black folks, they got, ran out of town. They didn't have the money. And so many of them stayed in tents for over a year uh, throughout the summer, throughout the winter, without any way to be able to go freely because they were in what we call concentration camps. Too. And they literally could not leave unless a white employer signed them out and gave them a green pass. 
And so when we see what's happening across the nation, it is the same white supremacist system that's, that is fueling the deaths of our people, that's fueling the deaths of our people with COVID, fueling the deaths of our people with the police brutality. And yet we have a, a, a city in Tulsa that's saying, even though we know we did this to you, we know we have oppressed you for 99 years, we won't even have the discussion about reparations. We won't even have the discussion about compensation. We won't even have a discussion about really doing a real full and criminal investigation to figure out what happened. And we will not even admit that racism today exists in the city of Tulsa. What we, I, and I think the lesson that we need to get out of this, 99 years on Sunday, all the people who are saying, oh, we got to address this, we got to fix this here. Show me the track record where the issues you want or say need to be addressed are going to be addressed. Please, by all means, show me the track record. Well, that's what we want to talk about at our forum this Sunday. And you can go to uh, aclu.org slash reparations. We have a tremendous amount of individuals like Byron Stevenson, Equal Justice Institute, uh, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee. We're going to be talking about reparations because we have to understand that our trauma has been ongoing. It's not like something happened a, lo a long time ago and it was just over with. Our trauma is ongoing and continuous. We have had a virus that has wrecked this country over the last three months called COVID-19, but there has been a virus that has wrecked the black community over the last 400 years called racism, called white supremacy, and the white power structure. And unfortunately, most whites as you stated in Minneapolis, it's a 63% white city. Well, you have to say that most whites in that city obviously have a benefit to white supremacy. They have a religious belief in anti-black racism and white supremacy. And so that is what we're trying to push through with specific policies on in Tulsa about reparations and remedying the ongoing destruction and nuisance that has occurred for black people since 1921. Well, the issue then is whether, whether or not people are going to have the guts to actually do it. That's what we're waiting to see. So, Demario Solomon Simmons, we appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. Good to see you, brother. Peace. Thanks so much. Um, Teresa, when we talk about, again, at the end of the day, results, this, th this is where the hard work always comes in. The thing about this country is we want stuff. Okay, can we, can we just, can we just like, like move on? Can we like not just, just, just deal with this? And that is the fundamental issue. America, there's never been a race in, a race in truth, truth Reconciliation Commission. There's never been one. I've long said the reason South Africa, I think long-term will be better in dealing with the issue of race is because of that Truth and Reconciliation Commission. They had to confront the sins of their past. Mm -hmm. America has actually never confronted the sins of its past. It figured, passed a few bills, everything is good, so can we, can we go back to having a good time having picnics? It's not enough. You have to enforce the bills that you're putting up. And I think part of that is the problem that we're dealing with here today in our criminal justice system. We, are, we have legislators passing bills all day, but if we don't have the local leaders enforcing these bills to ensure that when a crime is committed by a police officer, that you know, uh, those enforcement uh, um, legislative policies are actually enacted, even if the governor has to step in to make sure those bad practices are, are actually uh, looked at and enforced, 
then we'll still have these same dialogues and these same conversations. I love the truth reconciliation uh, advisory. It should be in every city, every county, every community, right? Because if you don't identify the problems, if you don't, uh, you know, uh, shine the light on it, per se, this is something, you know, I'm thinking about it now, I'm thinking about this, um, this term, when you go into, when you take a plea deal, right? In the court of law, you, you take a plea deal from the prosecutor's office, you know, instead of them giving you 20 years, they may give you five years as long as you do an allocation, right? And with that allocation, you have to tell the truth, right? And so I think if we start actually going into that best practice, where people are starting to get that burden off of them, because you got to remember, some people are still sitting in jail over a lie or sitting in jail with a burden still on them because they have never released that truth. And which means their actions and their behaviors uh, are still going to be the same way when they got in. So now when they come out, we still can't find the problem because it was never addressed in the beginning. Rob, this is multifaceted. This is not just, here's the deal, Minnesota, after, when a white woman got killed by a black cop after Philando Castillo, they got a black police chief. I keep trying to explain to people, getting a black police chief, getting a black DA, getting a black, black mayor. mayor, getting a black president, that does not magically resolve everything overnight. You got to put the work in to make it happen. Absolutely. And sometimes when you get a black person in power, they're not... They're not, they're not the exception to the rule. They're the exception that reinforces the reoccurring rule, which so things sometimes get worse because it's harder for them sometimes to deal with it. Real truth. Going back to what you said, uh, you know, it's we have not in this country really dealt with race every time we try to run from it. And every time it gets a little bit uncomfortable, it always gets uncomfortable. We run from it. Other countries that have really solved it have really tackled it head on and they talk about it. We in this country make up stories. We make up we make up reasons. Literally, you could, there are there's a multiple question option for why the Civil War happened as if it wasn't slavery. They offer multiple reasons like states' rights and things like that. They, we make things up. So listen, uh, South Africa, Germany is another good example. Look, everywhere in that country, you know what happened when a Jewish person was 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 executed. It, they put it everywhere. They put it on display. And they make sure you know it over and over again for a reason, because confronting the truth is the only way to move forward. We in this country just try to pretend like it never happened and tell us to get over it, as if it's not still happening as if it's not painful and as if we don't have to do something dramatic to make up for all of that time and, and to make up for the current system as it is. Andrew. I mean, honestly, Roland, you're asking the country to reconcile with a painful past. People don't want to do it. They don't want to know that the entire country, America's standing in the world, you know, was built on slavery, was built on the commodification of black bodies, black wealth. And you can't just say, okay, you're free, Jim Crow, um, all the other forms after the Civil War, um, black codes, and then civil rights in you know, 30, 40 years, and you know, equality. Um, pe people just aren't ready for that conversation. And I think we have to force it. I think that uh, black people, we've already challenged ourselves. Um, it's up to white people now. Like, we need to have more allies in the fight. Everyone says that they're supporting this, that they're supporting social um, justice, that they're against certain things. Now's the time to put in the work as you said earlier. We see what other groups, um, Japanese-Americans in World War II, they get their reparations. Um, other, other incidents that have happened throughout the country, 
um, over the over the 20th century, um, America has no problem, right, um, helping to make things right, reparations for Native Americans and whatnot. But when it comes to black people, all of a sudden, there's an issue. Bottom line is, if you don't make changes, it's going to continue. Simple as that. Andrew, Rob, Teresa, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, folks, we want you to join our Bring the Funk fan club. What you do to help us do what we do makes this show possible. Here are the people who have given us in the past 24 hours uh, 50 bucks or more joining our Bring the Funk fan club. Shout out to Addie Zachary, Aisha Heslop, Albert Wynn, Amir Ward, Anthony Taylor, Anthony Mays, B Day, Best to Succeed, Beverly Powell, C.R. McGinnis, Cassandra Cox, uh, uh, Carissa Rivers, Charles Lee Joseph, Massey III, Cheryl Brown, Chris Patton Walker, Chris Young, Cliff Bucknor, Cynthia, Deborah Frazier, Deborah Shells, Deidre Franklin, Dolores, Dimitri Dunbar, Dina O, Denise Bell, Dion Francis, Derek Hunt, Dwight Red, Etna Wingfield, uh, just gift card, Gloria Ware, Hodge Smith, Jacqueline, Jacqueline Young, Janice Benajan, Jerron Cunningham, Jean, Jeanette Russell, Jessica Green, Joe Curtis Grubbs Jr., John Hodge, John Moore 64, Juanita James, Kamala Bell, Carla Young, Key, Keith Antoine, Kelly Joseph Brooks, Krista Hines, Katina Hayes, Land Communications Corp, Lavonda Fletcher, Lanise Shahid, Lisa War, Lynette Phillips, Marsha Cloud, Marjorie, Maurice Coleman, Michael Clayton, Michael Smith, Michelle Duckett, Michelle Mack, Mona Louise, Monet Jones, Patricia Bryan, Paula Gilliam, Quincy Chapman, Robert Jackson, Rod, Sahira Threats, Sammy Harris, Sammy Walthor, Shamira Watson, Sheila Joseph, Stephanie Freeman, Stephanie Ware, Stephen Johnston, Stuart Spears, Tanya Alexander, Terry Mailer, Timothy Price, and Tyrone Smith. Folks, if you want to join our Bring the Funk fan club, all you got to do is, of course, uh, use Cash App. Pull the graphic up, please. Dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal, paypal.me forward slash rmartinunfiltered. Venmo, venmo.com forward slash rm unfiltered you can also of course send us a cashier's check uh, or uh, money order to new vision media inc 16 25 k street northwest suite 400 washington dc 2006 2006 you can go to rollermartinunfiltered.com as well all right folks sunday black women's roundtable is going to have a sunday brunch with regina bell uh, and you can check it out right here we're going to be live streaming it right here on our platform and so we look forward to that uh, and so you're going to have some great speakers uh, in addition to regina bell singing so that is the Black Women Roundtable, their virtual gospel brunch will be, of course, uh, the focus on the United States Census. As I said, you can see here, Regina Bell is going to be um, uh, singing, Melanie Campbell. You got uh, Michelle is going to be the MC, uh, D. Marshall, as well as DJ Glam. So we'll be live streaming that on Sunday, so check it out. All right, folks, uh, I am wearing so what you see right here. Uh, let me stand up, so y'all might be wondering why I'm wearing this here uh, at the outset. Uh, of course, um, uh, Gregory Floyd, of course, he went to Jack Yates High School, uh, where I graduated from. He finished in 1993, I finished in 87, so I wanted to wear this shirt for all the folks at Jack Yates from the Trey, Third Ward, Texas. And so shout out to him. Folks, y'all can see me tomorrow morning. I'll be rocking another Jack Yates shirt tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. Eastern. I'll be on with Ali Velshi on MSNBC. Folks, take care, be safe, and look, you're going to go out there and protest. Don't just focus on the protest, focus on what we do 
after the protest to make change real. All right, folks, we always end the show every Friday showing you all the members of our Bring the Funk fan club. We thank all of you for making it possible for us to do what we do. I'll see you guys on Monday. Holla!
from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.